What's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spazitti and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazitti program where we talk about financial freedom and economics. Guys, if you are joining me here for the very first time, first and foremost, I'd like to say welcome and I'd like to do to, to challenge you to take the 10 episode challenge. Guys, what is the 10 episode challenge? I've talked about this on in previous episodes, but the 10 episode challenge is, is basically where you guys go and you listen to the last 10 episodes. That's, that's all it is. And the main reason I'm asking you to do that is because I feel like you get a lot more value out of this podcast if you do that. You know, we don't talk about news or economic data or anything that we talk about on this podcast. We don't do it in a vacuum, right? I'm going to be mentioning stuff that I did in previous episodes, stuff I talked about and stuff that may even have articles referenced in there that you guys aren't going to know about if you don't go back and listen. So in order for you guys to be up to date, in order for you guys to get the most out of this podcast and the most value out of it, then I really feel like you guys need to go back and listen to the 10 episodes and so that you know that that's why I'm pushing the 10 episode challenge right but if you guys are joining me here for the first time, you know, we cover entrepreneurship or uh, financial freedom. You can refer to it as entrepreneurship. I like to refer to it as financial freedom, but financial freedom and economics. And, and what is that? Guys, I feel like in order for us to truly be free in the 21st century, truly be free in our time, you need to control the source of your income. And I, I feel very, very strongly about this. And I feel like, you know, if you don't control the source of your income, then you're always relying on somebody else, whether that's relying on a business, which is the most popular way to rely on. You rely on a business and you, in effect, rely on them to pay you a wage and you hope and pray that times are good for as long as you live, which, of course, you know, in 2020 today, we're starting to witness and see with our very eyes how unstable it is if you truly rely on somebody else to pay your, you a living. If you are relying on somebody else, that income is is incredibly uh, volatile. It's incredibly unstable because the economy is unstable and so many other things because of all of the central bank manipulations and stuff that we talked about, all the fake money growth. Again, we talked about that um, in the episode before last. We, you know, If you guys haven't listened to that, it's a great one. It talks about how we've changed our view of money and we don't respect money anymore. We abuse it and stuff of that nature. It was a very, very good one. But you know, ultimately, we talked about you know, uh, how the economy and really the economy on the whole has been this way for quite some time, but it's all the economic growth, you know, air quotes, that uh, we've experienced is, is largely fake growth. It's largely money printing. The supply, the, the growth of the supply of money, the, the supply, the, the money supply growth rate is how it's termed. And as the growth rate continues up, 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 
everyone feels happy. We're kind of on a heroin addiction, right? I mean, it's been, uh, it, that's the way it's been, it, it's been, uh, talked about for me. That's kind of the analogy that's been used by many of my mentors is it's kind of like a heroin addiction. You feel good when you're doing it, but then you have to do it more and more and more. And you have to have more of the substance in order to get the same kind of high that you got when you initially started. And before you know it, it you know, the bust is so big when you fall out, you either continue to do it until it kills you or you you suck up the pain and you go to a rehab center and you suffer for a long time to get away from it. And uh, well, let's be honest, that's just not going to happen with with the United States. Basically, this is a the the, the United States is a heroin act that's going to continue to get heroin hits more bigger and bigger and bigger hits up until it kills us, and that's effectively the outcome. And this is the main reason why I feel that we need to become financially free. You know, I don't mean to be Doctor Doom. I don't mean to scare you guys. I just want you to be aware of the reality that are out there. Guys, it was hard for me when I first learned about this, this message of financial freedom and I first learned about all the issues. I mean, it was literally very hard. It was very depressing. When I first started hearing about this kind of stuff for the very first time, you know, it was... It was coming in and listening to Dr. Doom every every single day, almost. And it was it was really, really, really hard for me. And I actually had a hard time emotionally with listening to it. I thought the world was collapsing and coming to an end and whatnot. And the main reason for a lot of that was, A, I wasn't used to hearing the negative uh, news. I wasn't used to hearing about all the things that were going wrong in the world, uh, particularly on the economic side of things, which was really where I was very passionate. This was before I got into Austrian economics, and I was incredibly passionate about um, the economics once I started learning more and more and more about it. And uh, But anyways, that said, though, you know, I just, I, was, I, I wasn't used to hearing that message. I'm used to hearing stuff that's upbeat all the time. I, I was not aware of what was happening. You know, Ignorance is bliss. That's very much how it was uh, playing out in my head, in my life. You know, ignorance was very bliss, and I just didn't really care or know about. Well, I cared, but I didn't really know about all the issues that were out there. And when I learned about it all and I started listening to it all, it was incredibly depressing for me and it was hard for me to hear it. But you know what really helped was the fact that eventually, the mentor I was listening to, the podcasts that I was listening to, eventually they, uh, one in particular, started coming out with solutions. What could you do to avoid this type of stuff? You know, and it was it was a very, very powerful message, and it really made me realize how so many people, the vast majority of people in this world, are just totally clueless about what's really going on and the, and the real risks that exist in everyday life. And I'm not talking about getting in your car or things of that nature. I'm talking about economically, financially related stuff. There's so many risks. Our economy is built on a house of cards. Many of you may have heard that uh, statement before, but it's true. Our, our economy is built on not a very solid foundation, and it's not going to take much to just flick one card and the whole thing collapses, right? This whole COVID-19 stuff has certainly uh, been the the black swan event that was necessary, but as, you know, we are, in, our economy is so addicted to easy money, and if the growth rate, if the money supply growth rate falls, all it takes is a black swan event to cause unemployment to skyrocket, to cause the stock market to crash, to cause companies to go under, Right? You know, we had a stock market crash in March, back in March of this year, and I get, and I'm almost certain we were going to have an even bigger one, you know, uh, probably next year because there's been a lot of government intervention, and if that government intervention continues, it's going to cause far more problems than letting the markets crash. But if it does stop, 
it's going, we are going to tank and it's going, it's going to tank. And it's going to tank hard, even harder than what we've already seen. But right now, the, the vast majority of people that have been affected by the shutdowns and everything, they've really been low, lower income people, you know, the, the, the lower class type, uh, economic class type of thing. And, and those people that they've got a lot of interactions with the, the public and stuff of that nature, they've been the ones who've been hurt the most big, high end, middle class, you know, corporate, you know, people who work in the corporate offices, they haven't really been affected quite so much yet, but that day is coming. Layoffs are coming. I can gar- I guarantee you layoffs are coming. All right. I know for a fact that they are coming. They're going to come. Comp- you may see big companies that go under, and if they don't go under, then they're going to be one big massive anchor that the economy has to lug around. Think of a, a an old uh, prison movie, right? Think of an old movie where, uh, uh, bro- oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? This is a, that's a great movie, right? Uh, it has George Clooney in it. Awesome movie. Well, when they're out there and they're basically hammering rocks and stuff on the railway, you know, they, they're all chained together. And at the end of this chain is this big, 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 like metal ball that they got, that, that weigh, heavily weighs them down, makes it near impossible for them to run away. You know, the chains are also metal, they're very uncomfortable, they hurt their ankles, and the only way to really get away is either to pick up the ball of chain, the, the ball, and run with it, or to sever your, to sever the connection between the ball and the chain, right? That's how you do it. Well, that's what these companies who should go under, but are allowed to survive, zombie companies do, that's what's going to happen. But guys, look, hey! That said, the reason that we focus on financial freedom and economics is because we need to know about the risk. The economic part is knowing the risks that exist, understanding how we can view the world around us. You know, uh, it, it provides us a framework. It provides us glasses that we can look and we can see everything. We can recognize instabilities. And not just on the negative aspects, we can understand why people make the decisions that they make, right? It's the study of praxeology, the study of human action. This is something that was done and created by the Austrian School of Economics by Ludwig von Mises, and praxeology is the study of human action. It's not psychology. It's not behavioral economics. It's different from that, but it's understanding how incentives matter and how ultimately how people respond to the incentives that they are given, whether the incentives are positive or negative. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's negative, but it's not always negative, okay? Sometimes it's just understanding how people behave. But in order to understand the risks in order to understand the, the good times and the bad times, we need to understand how people behave. We need to understand praxeology. We need to understand ec- economics. And then on top of all that, then we need to determine what we can do about it. What we can do, and even if, if times are good, even more reason to do to become financially free. We, we need What we can do is become financially free, controlling the source of our income. And not just for, like I said, not just for economic crashes and, and bad times, but also for positive times too. Many of you who are listening today very well may be of a, a libertarian persuasion, right? I don't self-describe myself as a libertarian. I hold beliefs that are not uh, I wouldn't say they're libertarian per se, right? So I, I, well, the bulk of the beliefs and the bulk of the, the worldview that I have is very, very close to a libertarian. I differ when it comes to a certain thing, certain things. Like for, for instance, I'm, I'm a monarchist, right? In terms of politics, in terms of how a government, uh, the ideal, the most ideal government looks, I like monarchy. 
I know it has a lot of draw, a lot of flaws. Trust me, I understand that. It has a massive amount of flaws. But there's a lot of data. We have so much data on it. There's so much history on it. We've the bulk of human history has been that of monarchy. In fact, right now republics and democracies that we're seeing, you know, in America and around the world today, I think they're just a short little reprieve of monarchy. And then monarchy is going to come back in full swing on the entire world. It's just instead of monarchies being tiny little territories, the next time around, monarchies are going to be whole nations, like massive, you know, countries are all going to fall under one monarchy. And that's not I don't know if that's going to, I would imagine that's going to be worse. It would be better if you had like a little city and that city was ruled by a king or queen, you know, a very highly decentralized system. See, this is where my, uh, a lot of libertarian Austrian economics type stuff starts to play into it. A little Rothbardian, if you will, or, or Hoppian, Hans Hermann Hoppe has influenced me here. You know, I, I am a monarchist. I like monarchy, but I feel like it's better done in a highly decentralized system where each monarch has their own little city and that's their little territory and that's that's what they rule and you know it's highly decentralized there is no state you know monarchy that's control of the entire state of of Texas or the entire which is the state that I live in or the entire country of America no 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 the most ideal situation is for monarchs that effectively are in control of tiny little cities so you know it's kind of like what the founding fathers uh, viewed but the founding fathers again they were looking to kind of get away from monarchy. They were looking to kind of go more towards, you know, a republic and stuff of that nature. And I think that republics and democracies are ultimately going to fail. It's a human experiment that humanity has been going through that you and I are living through right now. And I think it's going to fail. But anyways, that said, we're not really talking about politics today. Um, but, you know, the whole point of the show is to show you the risks that are associated with our world today, right, in everyday life, and then to show us how we can break away from the system, how we can break away from these risks, how we can reduce them in our own lives, and how we can ultimately become much freer people. Even, and this is valuable whether it's a good time, good times or bad times, right? I believe this is valuable regardless of the the times that you're looking at. It's even more valuable in bad times, but it's still valuable in good times because in good times, we can become free, truly free, and we can live a life that others envy, okay? As opposed to leaving, living a life of mediocrity, we can live a life that others envy. We can live a life of, of wealth and power and happiness. Now, money and power do not provide happiness, but money and power give you freedoms and those freedoms can make you happy, right? It's money itself does not make you happy. You'll never have enough money. Okay. You could be making millions upon millions, if not billions or trillions of dollars. You never have enough money, right? Uh, power again, you're never going to have enough power, but the money allows you to control your time. It allows you to spend life the way that you want to spend your life. It allows you to, to live a life in the way that you want to. And that's, that's what provides the happiness. The money doesn't make you happy, but the money can provide you time and that time allows you to be happy. Like for me, if I had a lot of money, I'd spend time with my family a lot more. I mean, I already do spend a lot of time with my family, uh, but I, I would even spend even more time with my family. We would go off and we would do fun things. We would enjoy life. I'm My 
I love to kick back and relax and literally do nothing in a day. That That is a good day to me. And I know there are many people who don't like that, but, you know, who, who wouldn't want to live that kind of life. But for me, that seems like a great life. You know, I just kick back, you know, relax, you know, soak up life and just enjoy it. And that's what's powerful to me. That's what I love. So I want to become financially free. I want to control the source of my income so I can live that life. And that's really the whole purpose of this show is financial freedom and economics. I'm passionate about economics, but I'm also passionate about financial freedom. And I think a lot of other people really need to start f- focusing on these things. And my whole show is is intended to try to show you my journey to financial freedom and then to teach you the lessons that I am learning and ultimately to help you guys understand how you can do it as well to talk about my journey by by seeing me go through the process and then once I achieve financial freedom then I want to teach you guys how I did it but you guys get to see all of the journey before I became wealthy before I became financially free. You guys got to take that journey from me with me from the very start. And that's the purpose of the show. And on top of that, like I said, I'm, I'm fi- I, I highly am highly fascinated with economics. I love it very, very dear. It, it means a lot to me. And, um, I, I love, I just love it. And I, and I want to share my passion with you guys. And I also want to keep you informed by talking about economics as well. So that said, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we were going to talk about understanding financial crashes, okay? we uh, I found this great article from the American Institute for Economic Research, AIER.org, if you guys are interested. I'll post a link in the show notes or if you're watching this on YouTube, the description below so you guys can have access to this article and the website. And it's just, it's a really, really great article, guys. It, it really is. It, it talks, they're talking about... In effect, they're talking about a, a warning from two hedge fund managers that wrote a book called Rigged to Failed. And they're talking about what these hedge fund managers are basically giving you guys a warning of what's going on in our economy today that I think is 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 incredibly valuable. We're not going to read the whole article. It's a bit longer than other articles that I've had before, so we're not going to read the whole thing. But we are going to read a few sections in here to wet your whistle, to give you guys an idea of of what's really kind of, uh, you know, what they're trying to get over. They have a really good analogy here that I like about, uh, you know, frat parties and stuff and comparing that to the economic boom and bust cycle, which I, I thought was very inspiring. I thought was a very, very good analogy. So let's go ahead and get into it. Understanding financial crashes. Let's start. Recessions play an essential role in the economy. They are a natural and a healthy correction where poor investments fail and eventually recalibrate to good investments. The problem comes when governments, in their quest to create everlasting growth, try to interfere with this natural process. Okay, so what he's talking about here is government, central banks, they want to create this utopian society, a society that cannot ever exist, right? Heaven on earth without God. And uh, if, if you are a Christian, I mean, I, I don't know if you are, I am. And uh, so heaven on earth without God. Well, if you are a Christian like myself, then you know how asinine that is. It, it's impossible. And even if you're not a Christian, you probably know that perfection does not exist in this world. Perfection is not long for this world. Well, that's what these governments are trying to do, these central bankers. They're trying to create perfection. And the world just simply cannot be perfect, okay? It just can't. It's because of sin nature. But if you're not a Christian, it's it's harder for you to understand that. But it can't be perfect. Humans are not perfect. The world is not perfect. Things are going to fall apart at, t- at times. It's just, you know, we all die at some point. 
The earth is not going to, may not live forever, right? There are, are things that, just the world is not made to live forever. It's not perfect. But that said though, so that's kind of what they're trying to do here. They're trying to create uh, a society with everlasting growth because if they do, then they can ultimately, you know, give money to anyone they want. They can create the world, the communist uh, globalist world that they ultimately want. That's what they desire. They want an authoritarian power structure. They want a communist slash socialistic globalistic world. That's what they want. They want everyone to unite under one banner and they want it to be this perfect utopian society. And they basically want to do it because many of them aren't Christians at all. And many of them want to ultimately create heaven on earth without God. That is a lot of the attempts here. Now, there are Christians that who are involved in this kind of globalistic movement as well. And there are socialist and communistic Christians also, but they're trying to create a society that can't really be created. Okay. And whether, whether they're Christians or not, or, or even if you take Christianity out of the argument, which I wouldn't because, well, like I said, I am a Christian, but even if you don't, you know, include that, that's what's going on. They're trying to take that out of the equation. They're trying to create heaven on earth without God. And, and I think that's really what's at the core of all this, but you may disagree and that's fine. You know, you don't have to agree. But if you are listening to the show, I have a tendency to think that you may not agree with me on every point, but you do agree with me on the bulk of what I'm saying. And so I, I, I'm left to assume that you, at least you're not highly offended by what I'm saying, and uh, which is not my, my intention. But, you know, hey, you're not, no one's holding a gun to your head saying you got to listen. If you're highly offended, you could, you know, go listen to, there are plenty of other podcasts out there. But let's get back into this article and kind of and talk about this more. The problem comes when governments in their quest to create everlasting growth try to interfere with this natural process like trying to prevent death or stop an infectious disease. The authors use many analogies to frat parties to, to describe recessions in government policy. Although that is certainly a fine metaphor, it may be a little too realistic. Imagine the market as a party. The boom cycle characterized by upward financial growth is when everyone is drinking and having a good time. People are making investments, spending money, and making money. Eventually, people drink a little too much and they wake up hungover in the morning. That's the bust cycle or recession characterized by downward financial growth. Those who were responsible with their money often escaped with little losses, i.e. those who were responsible with their liquor consumption the night before and weren't hungover. Those who drank too much will be hungover, making, i.e. making way too many risky investments and overexposing themselves to dangerous assets. There's nothing wrong with this dynamic on its own, as hangovers are natural and they happen to the best of us. Ideally, you would want a relatively stable financial market characterized by mild booms and busts. Think of a nice dinner party. You won't be having the time of your life, but nobody's getting alcoholic poisoning either. You get a financial crisis when things start getting out of hand. Perhaps there is an unprecedented level of speculation or government manipulation that has created artificial as well as unsustainable incentives that distort investors' abilities to make sound decisions. The authors specifically reference the dot-com boom where investors, or the dot-com bubble, where investors frantically hopped on trendy and unproven internet-based companies. Another example is the 2008 financial housing crisis, which former BB&T executive John Allison explains was caused largely in part by a large amount of government created incentives and interferences that led to an unnatural rate of growth that was disastrously unsustainable. Okay, so now that we finish that section, we're gonna we're gonna continue and we're gonna finish this. Uh, read another section, and then we'll be done with the article. We're not gonna read the whole thing. So this the next ses session is titled "A Central Bank Manipulation." 
The authors continue with the party analogy when describing the role and influence of central banks, a recent player in the market whose influence has grown to unprecedented levels. Essentially, central banks, with their ability to manipulate the economy, are the uncles who bring the boost to the party. Responsible central bank leaders know how to responsibly monitor the rate of economic growth, the authors note. Federal Reserve Chairman William Martin and Paul Volcker deserve equal note for exercising unpopular courage by standing up to bull market temptations. In 1958, Martin took away Wall Street's easy money punch bowl as soon as he saw that an economic recovery had morphed into greedy Wall Street speculation and a dangerously overvalued stock market. However, most central bankers are not like the ones mentioned above. They continue to indulge in complicated stimulus measures and irresponsible monetary policy, much like an uncle who just keeps giving liquor to the frat boys. By keeping interest rates low for longer than they need to be, central banks not only encourage reckless investing, but weaken their ability to react in recession. American Institute for Economic Research has published an article detailing how highly unorthodox practices at the European Central Bank, such as negative interest rates, are causing havoc in the European economy. Boom and bust cycles, much like supply and demand, have natural equilibrium that is self-regulating. The problem comes with an out when an outside actor that is completely impervious to market forces attempts to manipulate the market. The ASU professor Scott Scheel explains in his latest book that the knowledge problem is associated with political solutions as opposed to market-based ones. In many instances, governments simply lack the political courage to allow recessions to occur naturally and let bad actors fail. They'd rather kick the can down the road, dooming future generations to volatility, if not devastation. Um, I want to pause right real quick. And you know how I mentioned that I'm a monarchist. This is one of the reasons why I am. You see, politicians are always wanting to kick a can down the road because they want to push the problem off to somebody else. You see, the whole point of a politician is, is really to suck the life out of the economy, right? They want to get as much money money in their campaign contributions. They want to get as many votes as they can, become as popular as they can and influential so that they can acquire more money and more power and as much of it as they possibly can until their time in the government is over. This is the very nature of any form of democracy where the individual is elected and does not serve for life. Okay, this is why when you look at monarchies, they, they, while well, monarchs surely did not always manage the economy very well, or, or they didn't manage their countries well. And again, I'm against central planning. I believe a, a perfect or a good, a better monarch, again, perfection's not long for this world, but, um, you know, a better monarch would ultimately let the economy manage itself. And he would only protect property rights and, and natural rights that are not given by any politician or by a monarch, just rights that people have naturally endowed in them by their creator, right? Every human being has natural rights. And this is, uh, you know, this is ultimately what I, what I think would be a very, very good system to create. And there were government, you know, there were monarchies that had systems that were similar to that. I don't know if there was ever one that was ever perfectly in line with that ideology, but there were, you know, ones that were similar. And they had a lot of very, very wealthy nations, very prosperous, very peaceful, and they lived through a very good time of uh, peace and prosperity, and it was, it was wonderful. But here's the problem. When you have a political system and everything become, becomes political and you have politicians that are elected or even unelected, maybe they're just bureaucrats, their goal is to pursue their own self-interest. And there's nothing wrong with this inherently, but in, in the pursuit, because they're in politics in general, because they're in the government in general, the pursuit of their own self-interest ends up hurting everybody else. Because if they get paid, 
it's through campaign contributions, which there's nothing really wrong with that if the govern if the business that's giving the donation earned the business of their own free market abilities. In many cases, you can't even say that because a lot of those those you know companies win government contracts, so they're they're, they're jobs that the government give them, and and in some cases they have virtually almost guaranteed business. They they, they become very, almost monopolies in a way. Um, and whatnot. So there's a lot of manipulation and whatnot, but when money is given to these politicians in the form of campaign contributions, under the table dealings and things of that nature, the politician enacts regulations that the government, that, that the businesses want and desire. And this is one of the way, and, and, and the reason the business wants this is even though it's going to cost the business on the whole lot of money, they're so big they can absorb the cost, but it hurts, but it hurts all the comp- competitors and it prevents them from dealing with competition, which by the way, would be more costly for that business to have to deal with than paying the politician, however much he has to grease his palms in order to get the regulation passed. You see, it's all a string of incentives. The politicians are not in the business of serving us, of serving you, of serving me. The politicians are not in the interest of doing what is best for the economy, right? Regulations, uh, while there are some regulations that many people would argue are perfectly fine and have very minor consequences, if they have consequences at all, a lot of regulations, there are tons of people out there that argue or that almost a lot of people agree that they're pretty much crap, and they hurt economic growth and they hurt everyday people like you and I. That's what they believe, right? And, and, and rightly so. There are many regulations that are like this. But you see, the gov- the politicians aren't in the business of serving us and doing what's best for the economy. The politician, the incentive structure simply isn't there for them to be that way. They're incentivized to pursue their own self-interest. Their own self-interest is acquiring money and acquiring power in government. Sometimes these government officials, these unelected bureaucrats that you actually don't see, these are the most dangerous ones because you don't see them and they virtually serve for life. They, or at least they can, they hop in and out of government all the time. They hop from government to charity organizations that they create or that other politicians have created, which are really just mechanisms for funneling money. That's really what these charities are for. If you're a politician, if you see a politician, they've got a charity organization, some kind of foundation, and it's a, you know, it's set up uh, tax-wise, it's set up as a charity so that all the revenue, all the income that it produces is is largely tax-free. The purpose of this system is not only to employ friend, you know, friends and family members and to ensure that you can transfer your wealth down to them in a tax-free way, but it's also a way to funnel money in a very hidden way to other organizations for other political purposes. So it's not only a way to avoid taxation, it's also a way to hide your money and to funnel it to anywhere that you want, which means a lot of shady stuff happens with these organizations. So anytime that you hear about a politician, whether they're a big time city, you know, a big time federal, you know, government employee politician, or whether they're your local city politician, if they have a foundation, your eyebrows should definitely go up and you really, your spidey senses should start to, to, uh, basically alert you that something's fishy here. This is a politician who has a charitable foundation, quote unquote. Is it above board? Is it really a charity? Where does the bulk of the money go? You know, audit, in reality, I think all of them should be audited. 
I think almost every single, we should audit every single one of them and say how much money goes into it, how much money actually goes into the actual stated purpose of this charity. And the only reason I have that that opinion is because I don't have an, an issue with having charities per se. I think that everyone should be able to do that. You know, hide how much money you have, you know, have it tax free. I'm all in favor of all of that. The thing is, it's illegal for every uh, everyday people to do it, yet it's perfectly legal, legal for politicians or very wealthy, very, very, very wealthy business owners to do it, like, uh, you know, your Bill Gates of the world, right? The Gates Foundation. It's illegal for everyday people, but once you reach a certain level in society, you become so powerful, you grease enough palms in government, you're in bed with them at that point, you know, you can do stuff and everyone will look the other way. It's elite, you know, what they're doing is not necessarily inherently wrong with regards to the organization, at least in the general sense of it, but it is wrong that no one else can engage in it. But anyways, that's the, the, what I'm saying is that the incentive structure is not set up to benefit us. It's in set up for them to pursue their own self-interest and their own self-interest is not to do what is right, but to kick the can down the road, make it somebody else's problem. I just want to get my my cut. I just want to get what I'm due. I just want to make my money. I want to make as much money as I can, gain as much power as I can, much as much power and authority as I can, and I don't care about the consequences to the rest of the nation because by the time the, the, it rears its ugly head, I'm going to be long gone. That's why I don't believe in these systems. But anyways, sorry, I got off on a long tangent, but I think there's a lot of value in that, right? That's the issue with democracy. That's the issue with republics. These freaking thieves, these these leeches on society, these politicians, they don't care about you. They don't care about doing what's right because they, they're just not incentivized to. The very nature of the democracy, the very nature of republics or any hybrid system thereof, it's not incentivized to serve the people. They're not, the very nature of them is to behave like thieves and like leeches on society, is to behave, is to try to get every, as much money and power as they can and kick the can down the road because by the time they're out of office, by the time they retire, not going to be a problem anymore. Or by the time, you know, by the time the issues hit the fan, they're not really in the position that they were in before. Maybe they're serving on some kind of, of a charity organizations board or maybe another department. Maybe they're in another part of the government. Maybe they're in a government department. Or maybe they now are on, uh, I don't know, some board on, on Goldman Sachs, some kind of financial institution or some kind of big company. They're not there anymore. They pass the, they pass the blame down the road. They kick the can down the road, dooming future generations to volatility if not devastation. It's the very nature of democracy and republics, guys, or any hybrid system, all right? It's that, that's the case. But anyways, the authors point to an example of such behavior when they cite that GE's dive from $50 to $10 was based on the fact that its finance company's earnings were essentially $600 billion of risky, illiquid assets propped up by mountains of debt, $800 billion, and hot money leverage. Did the company learn the necessary lessons of reckless speculation and the fall from its 40x valuation peaks? No, they did not. Instead, GE's CEO took a bailout, which was taxpayer dollars, by the way. 
The market is full of these scenarios where governments artificially prop up failing companies by pumping trillions of dollars into the economy through quantitative easing and other experimental monetary policies. This creates a dynamic where companies are not really creating value but are simply propped up by an unstable house of cards composed of overly complicated interventions. The worst part is that it only prolongs the inevitable and makes the downturn even worse. This creates a vicious cycle where the government can't afford to not perform a bailout as doing so may substantially harm the economy you know, largely because, you know, uh, well, I'll finish the article and then I'll, I'll explain why. This not only incentivizes poor behavior, but perpetually adds to the already overbearing pile of problems. Such behavior is now the norm all across the world. So if the crash comes, it will not be a local crisis, but a global catastrophe. Ladies and gentlemen, the main reason why that is true, why the, they want to continue to prop these companies up. And this is something that I, I've long since speculated. A long time ago when I was getting into libertarianism and stuff, and again, I'm not a libertarian, okay? Sometimes uh, I, I don't really want to get into why I don't classify myself as such, but I, I don't, I feel, I don't like to tie myself, first and foremost, I don't like to tie myself to any political group. I don't care, I may be a libertarian, but I'm not going to classify myself as such because that ties me to a political group. And if that political, and I don't like politics, and if that political group starts behaving in a way that is not their nature anymore and they start behaving in a way that is bad, then I don't want to tie myself to them. I don't want to tie myself to Republicans. I don't want to tie myself to Democrats. They're virtually the same, you know, groups anyways. They're virtually, while they have different rhetoric, they still both believe in increasing the size, scope, and power of government, increasing the government spending. That's what they both do. They're just, they're basically the same party. Libertarians don't believe in, you know, libertarians believe in trying to fix the political system. And the main, one of the main reasons that I'm not a libertarian or I do not self-subscribe as one is because the political system cannot be fixed. Okay, and we'll get into more of that later. We've talked about that in other episodes, but it can't be fixed. It just, it just can't. The will of the people is not there. The will of the people does not exist to fix the, the real problems. And in fact, because the people have control and they have a say in the matter in the first place, that incentivizes them to just want their side, their team to win. No one is incentivized, whether it's politicians, whether it's business owners, whether it's people, everyday citizens. No one is incentivized to fix the problem. No one is incentivized to do so. And the people who truly are incentivized, they don't have any power. They have no money. They have no control. They, they, they have no hope of ever fixing it. But, you know, just like the article states, the reason that they, they constantly, the, the government constantly wants to prop up these big companies, these big organizations, is because they have allowed them to become so big, they employ tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Or at least if they don't employ hundreds of thousands, they are responsible. They employ tens of thousands and then they support other companies which hire tens of thousands. And before you know it, hundreds of thousands of people's jobs are on the line here. If this one company caves in, they're a huge, huge, huge business for their suppliers. Their suppliers will take a big hit if the company caves in. They're not going to be you know, buying stuff from their suppliers anymore. 
you know, there's a lot of companies that have ties to these big corporations. And as a result of that, these companies, uh, if they lose, they, maybe they only hire 60, 70,000 employees. Maybe they only hire, let's say only 30,000 employees, but the suppliers hire 5,000, 5,000. They have maybe, you know, five, six, you know, suppliers that they work with, maybe more, depending on the size of the company, depending on what they're doing. You know, maybe they, they work with other business, they work with other businesses. These, all of these businesses hire thousands of employees in some cases, unless they're small companies. And it adds up over time. Now, when I was learning about libertarianism, let's go back to that. I, I happened upon a website that basically said that they, they didn't like corporations. Okay, and it was a very sketchy looking website, if I'm honest. And it was late at night, and you always find your way onto sketchy websites like that when you're when you're when you're when you're trolling the web late at night instead of going to sleep. But this sketchy website, you know, it was very old, not very pretty, I guess you could say. It just it, not not a lot of money and not a lot of effort went into the website. But the website was basically saying that corporations were so are socialistic that these big cor- big corporations big corporations are socialistic and i was like when i first read that i was like ah, whatever man big corporations you know if that's if that's how the free market allows and whatever you know fine and again this was at the very the very beginning of my journey right into economics into into all this and what I realized was that, you know, coming later, years and years later, I'm like, huh, did they have a, a point? Are big corporations, would they even exist if it wasn't for all the government regulation that allows them to have a massive market share and virtually very little in the way of competition to stand against them? Would these big corporations really be able to reach the size that they reach if it wasn't for... All the government aid, you know, money bailouts, obviously, the money bailouts is obvious, right? GE, you know, General Electric, it's obvious that of what's happening with GE, right? You know, GE takes bailouts all the time. Maybe I shouldn't say that they, uh, you know, have taken bailouts or that they take bailouts all the time, but they have taken bailouts. The same is also true with General Motors as well, General Electric and General Motors. There's lots of big corporations that have been around for a very long time that honestly would have died years ago if it hadn't been for regulations that ensure that they don't have to deal with competition, which would have killed them long, long, long time ago, and which also ensure that uh, they don't go under via the, the you know the money that the government gives them. But why is the government incentivized to do this? Why? A because they're these are company these companies are kind of like large companies that we saw in the Nazi regime. You know during the time of Nazi Germany, the Nazis loved big corporations. They were not they were fascists, right? But they also but the Nazi was the was a socialistic party. The Nazi was the, I think it was the, the, the people's socialist party or something of that nature. That's what the Nazi party actually stood for. They were socialists. Now Hitler was a fascist, but there were many socialistic things that were done inside of Nazi Germany. And one of those things was big corporations, crony capital. It wasn't even crony capitalism, right? 
crony capitalism was already happening in Germany. And then when the Nazis came, they just gave more power and to these companies. And the government started controlling them. Because if you only allow a couple of corporations to exist as kind of a shared monopoly, I, I forget the, the actual term for it. But if you only allow for a certain number of companies to exist and become really big, right, and you have, oh, maybe three, four, maybe five companies in an industry to really have the biggest market share, and of course there are smaller companies, but they, they can't even compete. I mean, think of this, your, your cell phone companies, right? You got Verizon, AT&T, those are the two biggest, and then you go, you take a step lower and you have, you know, T-Mobile and Sprint, and then you take a step lower and you've got like Huawei and you've got, you know, Metro PCS, right? And the big companies, I mean, they've even, they even purchase the smaller companies. But if you only have a certain number of very large companies that exist that largely control the entire economy, guess what? If you want to control, well, that, that largely control not an entire economy, but an entire industry, an entire sector of the economy, right? All you have to do as a government is to start putting pressure on those businesses and then all of a sudden you now have control of the sector itself, of the sector of that economy, of that industry. You know, they lobby with you so that you give them regulations so that they can in effect, you know, have more have more market share and don't have to compete with regulation uh, uh, competition. You know, they, they, they line your pocket as the politician, the companies line your pocket, their, their lobbyists give you money, you know, under the table with regards to campaign donations. And then they control you. Heck, they might even engage in pressure. The government might even engage in pressuring the central banks to basically print money and to buy shares in your company to prop your company's prices up. Could be a way of giving you money, bailing your company out. They could just give you money directly. But again, the whole reason they do this is to control these corporations. You know, they, they, they allow big corporations to come up. I mean, if you look, look at social media. You've got Twitter. You've got Facebook. You've got YouTube, which is now owned by Google. Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. All the most popular social media sites are only controlled, are only a few companies. And, re and, and largely, there, there isn't a lot of regulation now to hurt smaller players, but eventually there will be because the authoritarian measures that these, that these social media platforms want to engage in is ultimately going to, to chase a lot of conservative voices, a lot of people, even some left-leaning people, it's going to chase a lot of people off their platforms and onto other platforms, and then they're going to want, they're already trying to do it now, they want regulation. They do. They absolutely do. They want regulation to prevent those businesses from taking their, you know, their comp, their customers. They want you, they don't want to allow you the free speech and all that. Which, you know, I, if you're using their platform, fine, whatever. But they, they want you to adhere to what they want you to say or don't want you to say. But they don't want you to go anywhere else. And this is, this is the very nature. This is why, this is one of the reasons why the governments, this is one of the incentives that governments have of not, uh, I mean, of allowing these corporations to become so large. It is for the purpose of control, controlling an economy, central planning, 
authoritarianism. This is the whole purpose. Only allow a few big corporations to exist in an industry, in a sector of the economy, and then put pressure, control them, give them lots of special benefits, maybe even give them money. Now you control them. Now you control that entire sector. You know, if you want to shove, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, politicking down someone's throat, whether it's gender politics, race politics, whatever, you could do that. Put pressure on the economy, put pressure on these country, uh, these companies that employ tens of thousands of people and start indoctrinating them. Start saying, if you don't believe us, if you don't believe in what we say, we're going to fire you because you're a non-believer and this is our religion and we're going to force it on you. And guess what? We control your income. You have no choice. You either, you either capitulate or you shut up. You don't think this is happening right now? I know what's happening. I, I'm seeing it firsthand. I am hearing constantly. I know of people in my own personal life and I'm hearing about it from lots of other people on, on social media and elsewhere that companies are doing this. It's wrong. This is why the government loves this. But another reason is that they've allowed these companies to get so big for this purpose of controlling the, the, uh, the economy and controlling the people. The reason they've done this, now that they've allowed these companies to get so big, they can't afford to let those companies go under. Not only do they lose the control and, and the power that is associated with it, but they also, and when I'm saying they, I'm talking about the government, not only do they lose the power and control if those companies fail, but they have allowed those companies to hire tens of thousands of employees, and that's going to cause unemployment to tick up. And that's going to cause a lot of unrest. Tens of thousands upon thousands of people are going to get laid off, are going to be unemployed. And they're going to, in effect, you know, get angry and mad, rioting in the streets possibly, and not for some, you know, political agenda that doesn't exist, right? But, for, but because they don't have a living anymore, now they're pissed. The system failed them. System was never designed for them. That's the truth. System was never designed for them. The system was designed for the rich and the wealthy and the politicians, the ruling class. The ruling class is kind of broken down into two, into two ways, right? Two, two groups of people, very small groups of people. The ruling class, and you always have a ruling class, mind you. You always do. Uh, whether it's monarchy, whether it's democracy, whether it's socialism, communism, whether it's republics or whatever, you always have a ruling class. You can't get away from it. So for those of you who hate ruling classes and you hate the class structure and you want to break it down because you're a socialist communist, you, you aspire to be that or whatever, you can't get away from it. There will always be those who rule over everyone else. You will always have rulers. You will always have a ruling class. The poor will always be ruled there will always be a ruler and there will always be the ruled. That's just the laws of human nature. It cannot ever be, you can, you can create a, a socialist communistic society and you can lie to yourself and make you think that there are no class, there's no class system and you can go around calling your everyone comrade or whatever, not really identifying their, their real rank. No one has a real rank, which was absurd because obviously they did. You can bury your head in the sand. You can lie to yourself all day long. Doesn't make you right. Fact of the matter, there's always a ruling class and there always will be. 
But the ruling class is divided into two different groups. You've got the ruling class on the political side, the politicians, the bureaucrats, whether they're elected or unelected is, is largely irrelevant. Once you reach a certain point, whether you're elected or unelected, you are quite wealthy. You are quite powerful. You are now, you are a power broker. You can grant, you know, uh, special privileges to corporations that allow them to not have to deal with competition. Okay. And then on the other side of that, on the other, the other group is your big high-end corporatists, your big high-end, you know, executives, owners of, of big corporations, big executives, big CEOs. And then they, uh, they, those big CEOs and those big corp, you know, big, uh, you know, big time owners, your Zuckerbergs of the world, your, your, your Bill Gates of the world, your, your Steve Jobs when he was alive or, uh, you know, your Elon Musk's, these, these big top end owners and CEOs, right? They come in and they have lobbyists that lobby and give money to the power brokers in Washington to, in effect, give them an advantage, an unfair advantage in the economy so they can get big. And the the government, as long as this is a company that's willing to play ball and is willing to capitulate to the government, they're, they're, they're all but willing to oblige. And in many ways, the incentives of the company and the government are completely in line with each other. It benefits them financially. It benefits them, you know, uh, with regards to power and influence. And you start to see this, this system. Uh, America really is more of an oligarchy. It's not really a, you know, you, an oligarchy of, you know, how an entire nation is centrally planned and controlled and ruled by a group of individuals. And that group of individuals are high-end captains of industry, politicians. Now, you could probably say that military leaders and people like that are in there. And again, when we're talking about, you know, high-end captains of industry, that could be the media. That I mean, the media is nothing more than an arm of the government these days. I don't care what media source you like. All the major media sources are the arms of the government. Uh, I'm convinced that they are at this point. You also have, you know, whether that's the medical industry, it doesn't matter. Captains of industry includes pretty much every single business. On the other side, you have, you know, military leaders and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I would consider them to be politicians, what maybe bureaucrats because they're not necessarily elected. They're more appointed at that point. But you get the idea, right? This is the, the, the truth of the matter. This is the truth that nobody talks about. America is not free. And they have allowed these companies to become so big, not only do they represent a large amount of control over the economy that they want, they also represent tens of thousands of jobs and they cannot allow them to fail. And this is why they're incentivized to to allow them to stay up and running. Well, when companies don't have the fear of failure, they start to manage their businesses poorly. And when they're allowed to continue to survive when they would otherwise would have died due to natural market forces and economic forces and you know lack of managing resources appropriately lack of business and demand for their products or services when they're allowed to survive they become a drag on the economy they become that ball and chain analogy that we talked about earlier and it, it ultimately it destroys the economy and inevitably that is where we are going hopefully it's not in our time i don't believe that it's this econ- economic crash I really don't. I think the I think America will probably survive long since we're gone. 
You know, I mean, I think I'm not, I don't think that I will live to see the death of America as we know it today. Well, I don't know. Maybe we will see the death of America as we know it today, but we, I won't be around to see the death of America, okay, um, in that sense. I, I, I don't think that I will. I could be wrong. You know, I don't have a crystal ball, right? This is just my own insights. You know, I'm an avid researcher. I, I read economic articles, economic publications. I read economic books. I read all this stuff all the time. It's a huge passion of mine. Not only am I passionate about Forex trading, which some of you may be here because you're interested in that. You know, not only am I interested in all of that, in trading, investing, entrepreneurship, personal finances, all that kind of stuff. I'm interested in, in all this. So I, you know, economic stuff and whatnot. So I, I, I research it. I read about it all the time. And I wanted to share my passion with you. I wanted to make you more aware of what's going on. I know it's changed my life a lot. I, you know, for a long time, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I was very directionless in my life. I didn't know where I wanted to go with it. You know, I, I was in college you know, back in 20, oh gosh, it was 2017 is when I graduated. It took me 10 years to get through college. So I started, I guess you could say in 2007 and uh, I took some years off in the between and I changed my degree officially, I think like six or seven times. There were unofficial changes in there as well. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I just had no idea. And I really didn't learn about what I was really passionate about up until I was getting, uh, you know, towards the, the later stages of my, my college career. And then I learned about trading in Forex. I learned about trading in the options market. I learned about investing, personal finances. I had already kind of, I'd always been conservative about that because I've seen lots of friends and family members do very, make very bad uh, financial decisions that led them to uh, a lot of pain. And I talk, I've talked about that in episodes before, but you know, in the end, I didn't really get into economics and the in the trading and the investing stuff. I didn't really get into that. And and I also learned a lot more about personal finances. But I, I, I didn't really get into that till really close to the end of me being in college. But I still didn't really but up until I learned about that stuff, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had very little purpose in my life. I was married and so I, I very much wanted to you know, I I, I wasn't depressed in that sense, but I, I, I didn't know Well, I was a little depressed because I didn't know what I wanted out of my life. You know, you need more than just a marriage and friends and family. You need more than that. You have to have purpose beyond that. Okay. Some people, uh, I, I've heard some people say that they just want to be married and they think they're going to be happy, you know, just by being married. And, and while that may be true, maybe that is true for some people. I don't know. I know for I know from 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 friends and family that I have seen from myself, you can live a relatively depressed life in a marriage because you're really not serving your 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 purpose, what you're really called for, what God made you for, and you're not really serving a purpose that you you're passionate about. You're just kind of going through the motions of life, and I think that while marriage and, and you know that bond is incredibly important for a happy life. And I'm not saying you have to be married. You can be happy being not being married, but um, and and being single and whatnot. But I feel like you need more than just a relationship with somebody, more than just a companionship, more than just a marriage. I feel like you need more. You need purpose. And I didn't have it for a long time. And then I I found. You know, I was, my dad got into options trading, which really sparked me trying to learn as much about it as I possibly could for free. 
And then it got into, it, it spread from there and it got, and I got into Forex trading. And then the, the guy who was teaching Forex trading ended up, ha- he had a podcast that I started listening to. And that's when I got introduced into Austrian economics and libertarianism and all that. That, and that, that was kind of my story. So, you know, I know that this stuff changed my life and it gave me direction. It gave me passion, made me feel smart. I used to tell myself back then that I was stupid. I'm not stupid. I'm incredibly intelligent. And I don't say that to, to be arrogant. I say that because I used to legitimately say that I was stupid. So now I tell myself that I'm smart and I'm highly intelligent and I, I genuinely believe it today. I don't feel that I'm stupid anymore. You know, I, I, if you think that's arrogant, I, first and foremost, I don't think that's arrogant um, at all. I think it's true. I am smart. I am highly intelligent. But I didn't used to think I was. I used to say I was stupid. I used to get poor grades on, on tests throughout school. And I, I just used to think I was the dumbest person in the world. Everybody else that I knew performed very, very well in college. I didn't. Not, not up until more the end of the college where my wife got to help me out and help me study and things of that nature. But up until that point, I was more like a C, a D to C student. And then when my wife helped me, I jumped from more like an A to B student, student sometimes maybe a C student every now and then. But I actually graduated with a cum laude, not summa cum laude, but uh, so with, with, with honors. It wasn't with high honors. I think summa cum laude is high honors, and I think cum laude is, is the silver level. Right? I, I got a silver medal when I graduated uh, for, for graduating cum laude, so that, that, that was nice. But it was in business administration. Honestly, if I look back on it, I probably would have majored in economics to some extent. Um, but if I knew that I was going to do this and actually, I don't even know if I knew that I was going to start my own thing. I don't even know if I would have uh, went to college in the first place. But anyways, that being said, guys, you know, I know that it changed my life. That's why I want to talk about. That's why I want to spread this message of financial freedom and economics to as many people that will listen, because if it changed my life, I know I'm not the only one that was in that boat. I want to help other people and I want to change their lives as well. I know I'm not financially free and I'm still on my journey to becoming financially free. I will consider myself to be financially free when I am making enough money to ultimately provide 100% for my family. And right now I'm not there yet, but I wanted to do this to show you my journey. You don't have to become independently wealthy. You don't have to be a consistently profitable trader. You don't have to be financially free to start showing people your journey to doing that. Just be honest with people, right? Just be honest. Tell them the truth. I'm not there yet, but I will. And I want you to to join me on my journey and become financially free with me. That's the message that I have. Join me on my journey. Become financially free with me. And we will both change our lives and our worlds together. I think that's incredibly empowering. Well, guys, hey, that's going to be the the end of the episode for today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, We're going to go over a few affiliate programs here. Guys, affiliate programs are one of the ways that I try to keep the lights on here and ultimately try to make some monies and and whatnot. So, uh, you know, if you don't like to sell all that tactic, then, uh, hey, thank you for showing up. I really appreciate it. 
but I got to make money. I got to try to provide for my family. And uh, I, I hope you understand that. Okay. That's the, that, that, that is the main purpose of the show is to make money and to spread the message of financial freedom to as many people that will listen, right? That's the show. That's the whole point of the show. That's one of the major points right there. So, of course, no one does this because they don't want to make money. I mean, and even if they do, they're not going to turn their nose up to money. So, you know, I got a few affiliate programs that I use in my daily life, and I think I'm very, I, I like the services that I have, that I get from them, and I, I hope you guys do would too. So, first and foremost, guys, let's uh, do the first one. It's Skillshare, guys. Skillshare is the number one platform, in my opinion, for learning a new skill. If you guys don't have a lot of money, Skillshare is a great way for you guys to learn a new skill and make yourself relevant in your industry and your job today. Ladies and gentlemen, it is, they've got thousands upon thousands of courses at Skillshare ranging anywhere from like website design, email copywriting, filmography, photography, coding, options trading, forex trading, you name it. They've got tons of stuff. They even have stuff on there for like how to fly a drone and stuff. That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, they've got tons and tons and tons of courses on there and it's dirt cheap. Guys, in most cases, they'll give you a month, two months for free. I'm not aware of which one they're doing right now, but in most cases they will. And on top of all that, it's only like, even when you are paying, it's only like $99 for an entire year. So guys, it's dirt cheap. If you don't have a lot of money, if you are struggling financially, but you still want to learn a new skill, you can learn a lot of new skills at Skillshare. They, it really is a great place to go. And you, I don't think you'll be unsatisfied with it. I haven't been. I've used them for all kinds of stuff. I used them for YouTube ads. I used them for how to design my website. Um, you know, I, I, I did courses that to help me kind of learn a little bit. And, and, you know, I mean, I've, I've also attended courses on, um, I don't know, just all, all kinds of stuff, guys. I mean, they've got all kinds of stuff. Go check them out. See what you think. I mean, if you like them, uh, if you're going to use it anyways, then hey, consider using it, f you know, uh, with our link. That way you help provide for the show. That way you get a great service and I get a little compensation for it. So it's a it's a win-win if, uh, in my opinion. Also, if you guys are interested in Forex trading, I know that I've talked about Forex trading in many other episodes, and I and I mention it briefly because it's something that I'm currently in the midst of doing. If you guys are interested in it, go check out Tier 1 Trading. Guys, Tier 1 Trading is the number one trading coach platform. It, they're very, very, very transparent. They're very amazing. They're going to teach you a ton of stuff. If you guys have know anything about trading, then you know that trading can, is very, very hard to do. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you got to learn, but once you learn that skill, it can become a very powerful money income generating machine for you. It really can. And you know, and the best part is you don't even have to sell anything to anybody else. You know, basically you don't have to sell a product or service to somebody. You just come into the market, you take your trades based off the strategy that you've created and tested. And you, you know, you just do that every day and you can legitimately create very, very real wealth by doing that. It, it also doesn't, it may take you a few hours in the morning and then you're done. So, uh, or in the evening, how, when, what, whenever you have time to do it. And guys, look, tier one trading will not only teach you that skill, they'll teach you how to read price charts, which is a highly valuable skill. In my opinion, that's the most valuable skill. Even if you don't even decide to do trading, learning how to read a price chart is incredibly important. Uh, for any, if you're invested at all, you need to know how to read a price chart. Okay, technical analysis is the best thing that you can have in your hat of tricks, if you will. And so tier one trading will teach you that. They'll teach you how to create a strategy, how to test that strategy. They'll teach you 
advanced pattern recognition, how to manage you know, money management, which is really what accelerates the growth in any trading strategy is money management. They're going to teach you all this kind of stuff, guys. You know, you got Akil Stokes, Jason Greystone, Charles Miles, and Darren Oglesby. These guys are absolutely amazing. I talked to Charles Miles literally to this day and absolutely amazing guys. You know, they're not going to turn you down the wrong path. They want to help you be successful in this area. So if you guys are interested in trading Forex, and a lot of the stuff they teach you can be applied to other markets as well. It doesn't, it's not just Forex. But if, if you're interested in, in trading Forex, go check out Tier 1 Trading. They're absolutely amazing. And last and certainly not least, at least when it comes to the affiliate programs, you know, guys, uh, Money Metals Exchange is a great place to buy silver if you guys want a hedge against inflation. Okay, silver is a great, great, great fit place to go. I actually think silver is going to continue to rally. I'm not giving you this as a, as financial advice, as I'm not a, a licensed professional. So if you want that, go go find a licensed professional. This is just my personal opinion. Uh, but yeah, I mean, guys, look, silver is a great thing. I love it very much. I have lots of silver. I, I'm constantly buying more. And I'm going to be completely honest. It's a great hedge against inflation. If you really are afraid of inflation ticking up, you know, monetary devaluation is how I like to refer to it. But if you're afraid of it doing that, then please go check them out and see what you think. You know, uh, go go buy some silver. If you're going to buy silver anyways, if you like that kind of stuff, then go check out Money Metals Exchange. Again, it really helps us out. And if you use my name, there's no link that I can send you. The link that you're going to click on is just going to take you to the website. It's not an affiliate link. It's a referral program. If you are a new customer, it's incredibly important to understand this. If you're a new customer and you buy silver from them for the very first time, you will get a free silver coin and I will get a free silver coin. Okay, we will both get free silver coins. So if you're interested at, at, at getting silver and you're interested in that anyways, then go ch and you haven't purchased it at Money Metals Exchange, go check them out and we'll both get free silver if you decide to make a purchase. Just mention my name, Matthew Spaziti. My name is in, in the, the podcast and whatnot. So, you know, copy, copy paste and whatnot, you know, and just mention my name. And assuming you're new and you've never bought from them before, we'll both get free, free silver coins and whatnot. It'll be great. So guys, that's going to be it for the affiliate uh, section of the show. I always do it, uh, you know, post roll or, or towards the end of the show. I think there's pre roll, mid roll and post. I think it's post roll is what they call it. Uh, I always do it at the end of the show just because I like to talk about what I'm going to talk about, uh, and I don't like to be interrupted in that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you guys would prefer that I do it in the middle of the show or whatnot, but hey, if you want to get in touch with me, okay, if you want to, uh, you know, just join, follow me and, and be in touch with me, maybe you want to ask me some questions, there's two things you can do, two places you could go. First and foremost, we have a Locals community where I'm at and I'm trying to post uh, my episodes, my podcast episodes. I'm trying to post content there. Admittedly, not all my podcast episodes are on there, but I'm trying to post them. I also want to post my YouTube videos there as well. And guys, it, it, you know, Locals is a great place to be. If you guys want direct access to me and you guys want to help me build this community of individuals who all want to help each other become financially free, then go check out my Locals community. Go follow and join. It's totally free. You guys don't have to pay a, a dime. So it's just, it's a great community there. But hey, if you decide to do that, you know, leave me a message. Tell me who you are. Tell me what your aspirations are. Tell me something about you, what, what you're interested in. And uh, yeah, I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, Twitter. Guys, I'm on Twitter. 
I'm trying to grow my Twitter following as much as I possibly can. Twitter is a, is a, a, while I disagree with them politically on a lot of things, Twitter is a great way to create a an audience and it's a great way to ultimately create a following and that's what I'm trying to do on Twitter. You guys can direct message me there as well if you want. Um, I'll try to get to it. I'm very, very busy. I take care of an 11 month, my 11 month old daughter. I'm a husband spending time with my wife and I'm also trying to do a lot of content creation. So guys, uh, I'll try to get back to you as much as I possibly can. But hey, if you want to uh, follow me, Locals and Twitter are the best place. So guys, I'm trying to build up a very large following in both of those locations. So go check them out. Also, if you guys want to help support the show, perhaps I should have said this after the affiliate programs, but if you guys want to support the show and you don't want to buy any other products or services, okay, you just want to help support this message of financial freedom and controlling the source of your income and the freedom that comes from doing that. If you guys want to help me support that, if you support the spreading of that message, supporting the show, then please consider giving me a donation. We now have the ability to take donations on this show, which I'm super excited for. And guys, if you guys decide to give me a donation, the money will be used to help keep the show up and running, to help me ultimately continue to produce this show. And it will also be used to help spread the message of financial freedom to this message to as many people as we can get to listen. So guys, if, if you guys want to help spread this message, if you want to help, you know, uh, just continue the operations and the show and whatnot, continue to give me the ability to do this, then please consider donating to the show and whatnot. And I would, and I would greatly appreciate that guys. I'll put the link in the description below or the show notes page where, you know, whether you're viewing this on YouTube or whether you're doing it on the show notes and whatnot. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I would, I'd greatly appreciate it. It'd be one of the best compliments that you guys could ever, you know, give me. You're actually telling me that by doing that, you're telling me that you like what I'm doing. And, uh, that means a lot. Also, well, actually two, two more things. And I know I've asked a lot and I'm so, look, I know I ask you guys a lot at the end of the show, but you guys are amazing. You're awesome. You're here every day. I absolutely love it. And I wouldn't be able to, you know, even if you guys weren't here, I'd still be doing this because I love it, but I can't get, I can't build a following without you. I can't build this movement of financial freedom without you. I can't spread this message without you. Okay. I need your help. And that ties into very well with what I'm about to ask you guys. I need you to help. If you like this content, please consider sharing it. Share it on social media. Hit the share button, whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or wherever that you're allowed to share content, please share it. Hit the share button. You know, maybe share it with some people in your life. Odds are, if you like it, other people are going to like it as well. So please consider sharing the show with as many people as you think are going to enjoy it in your life and whatnot. If you're part of some group, some libertarian groups or some entrepreneurship groups, please consider sharing if you're allowed to there. You know, share where, wherever you are, wherever, whatever you have access to, please consider sharing it. Maybe share it to friends and family, you know, and, and help me get this message of financial freedom now to as many people that will listen. Guys, help me grow this message, this movement. It's a powerful movement. It really is. It gives people control back to their lives. So many people live thinking they don't have power. They don't have control over their lives. And they live in a very depressed state constantly. I don't want them to live that way anymore. I don't want you to live that way anymore. So if you're getting value out of this show, please consider sharing it to others. Help me grow this, this message and, and, and help me grow this movement. 
help me free other people. Help me free others. Free, you know, as I'm trying to become free, help me to free others with this message so that we can all free them from the system and so that they can become financially free with us. That said, though, on the same note, if you guys like what I'm doing here, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. Guys, that it's another great way of helping me get on the map right now. If you guys love what I'm doing here, then hey, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. I would really greatly appreciate it, guys. That helps me get my show on the map. It helps me come up on iTunes search lists and stuff. It helps me to ultimately be listed as one of the top podcasts. And guys, I really, really would really highly appreciate it if you guys would uh, go there and just leave me a rating review and tell people what you think. And uh, if you will do all that for me, and I know it's a lot, but you guys are amazing, and I have full faith in you. If you, But if you do all that for me, guys, first and foremost, thank you. And I will see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.